This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello. Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you have taken the time to either download and listen to this podcast or view it on YouTube. We are available five days a week on iTunes. We're available once a week, this drop, on YouTube. We are grateful to those who take the time to listen, and we invite you to share with us your thoughts about the podcast, your concerns about the podcast, any questions that might arise from the podcast, you can contact me directly at fredjeffsmith at cox.net, F-R-E-D-J-E-F-F-S-M-I-T-H at cox.net. I'd be more than happy to hear from you. I'm very happy today to have a young man that I have grown to love and appreciate and think is one of the most talented and bright young men that I have come across in a very long time, Mr. Terrence Turner, who runs the audio-video ministry here for Shiloh. He is the producer of this Thrive podcast, and uh, I just think that he's a young man with tremendous talent and a limitless future. Terrence, thank you for taking the time to come and share with us today on the Thrive podcast. I'm almost speechless. You know, you just bring me out so so well. Like, I need to live up to a lot. This stuff. Well, trust me, you, you already have, or else I wouldn't have said it. You, you, you fall into a category with one or two others, I believe, Reverend Demetria Jones-Smith and Reverend Dale Flowers being the other two. You are the third uh, multiple guest that we have had here on the Thrive Podcast. In fact, it was just about a year ago that you were here the last time, and we discussed audio-video ministry, your work with Mad Game Entertainment and some other things that were going on. What's been going on in the last year since since you were last on? Uh, a lot. Uh, you keep me busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, this year, though, we um, actually launched a new television program with Kenyatta Collins, who she does the uh, the video announcements here at Shiloh. Yes, she does. Um, but it's more like a news program. Uh, I've produced other programs before, more lighthearted kind of comedy. This is more of a community-based news kind of program. So really been getting some good feedback with that. Real proud of that program. Um, let me see. We, we put out a magazine um, called Ambition. Yes. Um, got good feedback from that. We're gearing up to... You know, we kind of put it out to kind of like test the waters, and now we're going to actually put it on a schedule now to where it'll come out like quarterly. So we've been working on that and just staying busy around here. Do you think people read, Terrence, I'm just picking up on the magazine piece. I find that a lot of people today, uh, and, and that's not meant as a slam, it's not meant as an insult, just, just meant as an observation of fact. I find that a lot of people don't read too much anymore. Uh, don't read the daily newspaper, don't read uh, news periodicals. Uh, even the as something as, as as minute as the Sunday worship folder that we spend a lot of time putting together on a weekly basis, uh, filled with information about what's going on at the church, uh, upcoming events at the church, and invariably I'll have people say, "Well, now tell me what's going on at the church." And I say, "Well, it was in the worship folder." Oh, well, I don't read that. So I, I, I'm just. just from your observation, you're a younger man than I am. Do you think people read anymore? Um, I think it's starting to come back around. You know, the, the saying is there's nothing new under the sun. 
and I think people have. I think people are starting to come back around to reading. Um, it's funny. The only reason I actually launched the magazine is because I was fed up with the magazines that are here in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like it's just a big ad magazine. Like there's right. nothing. There's no real content. They're selling there. space. That's that's really it. It's just like just nothing but ad pages. I'm like, you know, you get that in the mail with like coupon books. Right. So right. I really just, you know, I've been I've always been one of those type of people that if I see something, I'm not just going to complain about it. I'm gonna just I see what I can do to maybe raise the bar or fix it. Mm-hmm. So that was the whole purpose of even doing the magazine because I felt like it was a void. But do people read? I think people are starting to appreciate it a little bit more. I think the way they're getting it is, of course, different. Everything is digital now. And, I mean, uh, we we put the magazine out digitally as well, but it was hard copies. I think people appreciate the hard copies right. of it. Um, but I think it is starting to get more – I think it's starting to come back around more that people are starting to read a little bit more now. I mean, I like to read. I, there was a big period of my time of, of life that I didn't really just appreciate reading. Mm-hmm. But as I've slowed down a little bit more, I, I do appreciate reading a nice book. So I have several books that I'm I'm gearing up to read. I just kind of I've finished one, start on the next, start on the next. What's your preference, fiction, nonfiction? I like books about strategy and biographies. Okay. Those are those are those are my go-tos. Okay. Um well strategy I, I think is is a wonderful thing. When when I start to read biographies, I have to wonder who wrote them and and what was the purpose in the writing. Well, autobiographies, let me correct that. I like it where the person actually had input in their okay. own story. Yeah, well, yeah. that 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 was a, a misquote on me. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, so, with all of the things that you have your your hand in, how is Laugh Now, Laugh Later doing with Mad Game Entertainment? It did, it did good. We we wrapped up our our seventh season um, last year, and that came out at the end of 2018. Um, this year, I'm basically I'm letting it take a hiatus this year though. Okay. To do other things, so. There was a film project that I was working on before the flood hit and um, in 2016, and I'm just kind of getting back to doing that. Okay. Uh, we're doing Kenyatta Show Connections, and then uh, later on this year, uh, I'm going to be doing another TV show with a comedian, which I'm not going to say yet. <laughs> um, it's, not that it's not a finalized deal. It's just we want to have a proper rollout, so I don't want to spill the beans just yet because it's coming out later on. Sure. But sure. that's what I'm kind of focused on this year. Okay. Um, your mom is also involved in the creative arts and in the dramatic arts and plays and things of that sort. Do you all collaborate or are your works uh, separate? It's kind of kind of have to. <laughs> I really have a choice. You know, I just get calls and, hey, I need you to do this for me. Like, okay, okay, well, that's just a son doing what his mom asks her to do. Yeah. Uh, or asks him to do, I should say. Uh, but is there a formalized collaborative arrangement that you and your mother enjoy? Dr. Ava Turner. It's she called and <laughs> take care of this for me. <laughs> I understand. So that 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 you know that it, I guess is under the umbrella of collaboration. But yeah, I, I get calls and do this for me. <laughs> oh, okay, ma. That's kind of how that collaboration goes. Well, you're a good son. You're a good son. I try to be. Um, over the last year, uh, 
we have done this podcast and uh, it was an idea that we came up with and uh, it started off one way it started off more as me giving a series of of monologues designed to try to develop a uh, theological perspective on current events. It has evolved into something a little bit more than that, and and I appreciate your input in uh, the evolution of uh, the podcast. As the person who usually sits behind the camera and observes every single one of these, how do you think the podcast is doing? I think it's tracking very well. And by the way, this is an online assessment. I didn't ask him this question ahead of time. He didn't know he was going to get asked that question. No, I didn't. Um, I think it's tracking pretty well um, on both YouTube and on iTunes. Uh, the numbers continue to grow. And there's always like, it's always a surprise to me when I, I go back and I look at the analytical report and it's like people in Australia listening. We just had 10 listeners in Australia this week. Um, I'll look and I'll see like on one day it had like 60 downloads. Mm -hmm. And it's not just one particular episode. It's just like all over the place. It's like they went back and checked out this one and that one. So I think the fact that we've we've been able to produce so much content, it gives people kind of an option, almost like a Netflix option where they can go back and they can, I guess, binge them. Mm -hmm. Where they, you know, they I guess they're listening to them like back to back to back. And it's not even the newest one. They'll go back and reach and get one from like months ago mm -hmm. um so that's that's the funny thing that i i see happening um but i do think people are appreciating it and i think with anything it's just you know it's just catching on more and more the more times that we do it and then even with i really saw an uptick of it uh due to your idea of uh putting out content every day so not only having the interviews with people, but also Tuesday through Friday having um, highlights from the worship service and the Bible study. I saw a big influx of downloads after we started doing that. Okay. So that showed that people really just appreciate new content and different content because mm -hmm. the Bible study is different from the worship service and the worship service is different from the actual podcast where you actually have someone on. So I think that they have different options and it's just flourished so from 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 your perspective that 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 was a quantitative analysis from a f f in a qualitative way and and you have been here for every single one uh it's funny when i invite people in and they come in first question i ask just to try to get them comfortable have you listened to the podcast and and, and when i get a two second pause before they go uh yeah i usually Take that to me. No, I haven't listened to anything. <laughs> but, but you know, they're trying to be polite and I understand that. But you have been here for every single one of these podcasts. From a qualitative standpoint, mm -hmm. how do you think we're doing? And what, what could we do to make it better, make it more relevant? But remember, the whole idea behind this was to reach a, a, a different audience from what we see on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday for Bible study. To reach out into the community and beyond the community and, and share what we hope are relevant thoughts uh, current on current events and things that are taking place and how they affect us uh, as Christians, specifically as African Americans, as residents of this community, as residents in the South, things of that sort. From a qualitative standpoint, how do you think we're doing? I think we're on the right track. Um, there are different things that I, I do kind of envision doing and um, as far as just having different type of guests on. Um, and not so so much as that they're 
their standards or anything are different from us, but just different in general, just completely 180. Um, I would love to have an atheist come on and talk Mm -hmm. simply because I think that conversation is productive Mm -hmm. to have a believer, someone who 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 promotes believing in Christ and believing in God to discuss that with an atheist. Mm-hmm. And I think people would appreciate that conversation on both ends. And maybe the atheist may walk away with something different. And it's not, you never come across like you're trying to convert anyone or you're, right. you're trying to, you're trying to get them to, you know, make sure you come to church, come to church. You know, you're right. not pushing it. I think that in our society, these, these conversations haven't happened. It's been, I'm on this side, I'm on that side. And the sides never meet. Mm-hmm. The sides never have any dialogue. Mm-hmm. And, it, I think it, um, I think it, it, it bleeds into insults. You know, mm-hmm. atheists. A lot of atheists that I that I've seen in the public eye, they always have this very snobbish way that they speak about people who believe. It's almost like, oh my gosh, you know, you believe in that, right? Really, right? It's it's very, it's, you know, they they have a very, I'm gonna, I'm looking down on you kind of thing. Um, believers, you know. We've had this thing where it's like, don't talk to them. They're evil. You'll go to hell. So, <laughs> you know, it's almost like, you know, don't come in contact with them. You're going to hell. Yeah. Like it's, it's when like, you said that, that, that immediately came to my mind. You're going to hell. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, they don't have a, they, they, they're not diseased. Yeah. You know, you come in contact with them like, oh, I don't believe in God no more. I talked to an atheist today. So I, w- I would love to have someone like that. I would love to have, you know, maybe a Muslim or maybe, you know, yeah. an Orthodox uh, Jew. Yeah. Shago was a part of the Federation. Of, well, it's not called the Federation of Churches and Synagogues, the Interfaith Federation. Uh, we, in fact, I, I have agreed to serve on the board for 2019, the position that I was in several years ago. And, and I thought about the fact that it would be good to have uh, – people of different faiths to come on and utilize this uh, platform as a means of uh, sharing with the community, not just our differences in belief, but the commonality mm-hmm. of our belief. And so I, I, I've, I've had thoughts in that same direction, but uh, that's something that we need to work on for 2019. Yeah, and, I'm, and you and I have had conversations even about um, just media in general right? and how we we have to start using whatever platform we have to start trying to control our narrative. I think for too long, especially with, with black people in this country, we've allowed ourselves to be defined and right. we don't define. And it's not that, you know, we're not intelligent enough to define ourselves. Right. We haven't had the platforms to define ourselves. All the media companies, you know, all the television stations, they're not owned by anybody who looks like us. That's correct. They're, you know, they're owned by other people, you know, and we've allowed ourselves to be defined. And we have to start taking that power back and defining ourselves through mm-hmm. whatever platform we have. So, you know, the Internet is, is great that now we don't, you know, we don't need a billion dollars and a, and a big satellite in the back and, you know, and get, you know, satellites in space, right. you know, Series X. We don't have to do that. We can literally just upload our content to YouTube and people can, can get it that way yes. or through iTunes. And it's global. It's all around the world. Yes. So I think that that's the thing that we really have to start getting into is just, you know, that's why I'm, I'm proud of the podcast, because it's another platform that we use to help define the narrative for us. Mm-hmm. Over the last year, uh, what is your thinking with regard to community events. We are now two years into 
the Donald Trump experiment, uh, which is a nice way of saying his first term as president. Uh, we are uh, well into uh, Mayor Sharon Weston Broom's uh, first term as mayor president of East Baton Rouge Parish. Uh, Governor John Bell Edwards of Louisiana is going to be seeking re-election later this year. Uh, that's our national president, our state governor, our local mayor. Uh, as a young man, 34, 35 years old, what are your thoughts about where we are uh, as African Americans in relationship with government, local, state, national government? Um, my thoughts on that are it could, it could actually seem slightly bleak, and that's only because I'm not a surface person. True, I think Louisiana probably has the most judges out of every state that are black. Um, and that was even thanks, if you go back to Governor Edwin Edwards, that started happening under his administration where mm -hmm. more and more black judges were appointed to these different positions. I don't think that it's really changed the landscape that much because these are, these are surface positions. You know, they're still answering to certain people. Um, I think the way to change the landscape is, and it's, it's a quote that I love, you're either at the table or on the menu. And I think that a lot of our elected officials that even look like us, they're keeping us on the menu. They're not getting a place at the table. Mm -hmm. And it's evident with the policies that are that are constantly passing, mm -hmm. um, with with laws that are in effect. How does that happen? And you have all of these elected officials that look just like us. That's because where's the real power at? It, there's power behind that that cosmetic change. We, mm -hmm. We've made a big cosmetic change in America, mm -hmm. but we haven't changed the underworkings of it. And that's where the issue is. Mm -hmm. So it's either you're at the table or you're on the menu. And we have a lot of people that I feel personally continues to perpetuate this, this thing and keep us on the menu and mm -hmm. not at the table. Mm -hmm. Do you think that... that the reason why this is is because there's an economics component that has not balanced out over the span of time that we've started to see. The, let's just use a number over the last 50 years, mm -hmm. which is before you were born. But there, there, there is still a, a, an imbalance in economics uh, with regard to African-American wealth versus Caucasian wealth. Uh, in this country, in this state, in this parish. And as long as that imbalance exists, then you're going to continue to have these kinds of problems. That's my perspective. I'm asking, do you share that point of view? No, it's absolutely true. Um, it, it's it's definitely based on economics. But And when I say people of you know that, that have positions that when they speak, millions of people hear their voice. Mm -hmm. I use a, a, a prime example. I use him as an example. Hope that's not a problem. Look at Minister Farrakhan. Mm -hmm. Okay, you have someone who in the 90s when I was growing up, I remember he held the Million Man March. And then, what was it, like a couple of years before, uh, what was it, like 2013 or 14 or something like that, he had like a, a second annual Million Man March. My issue with that is you assembled all of these people. What was the plan? Mm-hmm. 
Did you do it for cosmetic effect? Did you did you actually lay out a viable plan of, okay, we're going to group our resources together. Individually, we don't have a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. We don't, but let's develop our own network of power. Mm-hmm. If you look at other ethnicities that come to this country, and granted, yes, we we've, we've had laws against us. You know, they you know, we've we've had certain battles that that other cultures no other race or ethnicity in this had. country has, has has ever had to face. Yeah. You know, I trust me, I completely understand. I'm not skating over that. But what I'm saying is our mentality towards each other has to change where we 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 get together and we group our resources together and try to change it for later. You know, if you if you look at Asian people, if you look at uh, Middle Eastern people, when they come over, they start a business mm-hmm. and it'll be the whole family and they're working together mm-hmm. and they build something and they build enough money and enough resources where they send their children to go be lawyers and doctors. Mm-hmm. Now they're creating a network of power because now, OK, my son is a doctor. He can he can do this. My, my my other son is a lawyer. He can do this. My daughter, you know, is an accountant for this. For, you're you're spreading your people out because mm-hmm. now you develop resources. You got like a foundation, and you spread your people out, and now you're creating a, a network of power. Mm-hmm. I know every black person can relate to this. They've been on their job, and they've heard a white coworker say, "I don't need this job. I can always go work for my uncle in Idaho doing whatever." Black people, we don't we don't say that. No. So. When are we going to start, you know, we have to patronize our own people. You know, we have to develop our own business. It has to be some kind of entrepreneurship to where we're, you know, we know we can count on each other. Mm-hmm. I've heard this statement before, too, and I've only heard it within us. Don't hire your friends and family. Mm-hmm. But everybody else is hiring their friends and family. Why is that only, you know, going through our culture where we feel like we can't hire our friends and family because, you know, they ain't going to work right. But everybody else is doing it. There is an inherent in mistrust that exists within the African-American community that is difficult to dispel and difficult to overcome and is constantly reinforced whenever you have a negative experience hiring friends and family. Uh, One of the chief complaints that I have is that as professionals, African-Americans only get one shot. If you go to an African-American doctor and have a bad experience, no other African-American doctor is going to get your business. Same thing is true with an African-American lawyer. Same thing is true with an African-American accountant. If that sounds hyperbolic, uh, it's only slightly so. Uh, We will give others two chances, three chances, four chances, ten chances. But when it comes to one of us... Mm -hmm. One who looks like us, one who's uh, had an experience similar to ours, uh, they get one shot. And if they fail, if they are corrupt, if they are inexperienced, if it does not work out to our satisfaction, the word on the street to everyone who we can get to listen to us is, don't go there. Don't trust those people. They can't do what you need to get done. How do we overcome that kind of that? That's not others mm-hmm. saying that about us. That's us saying that about ourselves. Well, it's a two way street with that one. The person that's in business, you have to keep showing up and try to do the best that you can. And when people see that, eventually you're going to do better if you keep putting forth the best effort. But if you come into your business and you're lackadaisical about it, then 
people are very warranted to say this about you. Mm-hmm. But if they come in and, you know, if the first time I come in and the service wasn't that good, the food, but at least the food was good, you got to have some kind of bright spot there. Right. So if I come into a restaurant, the service is horrible. But the food was good. Right. I'm willing to give you another chance because if you're just getting started, you may not have been able to hire the proper staff that you want. There's a restaurant right here, black-owned in Baton Rouge, and when they first started, service was horrible. I gave them three more chances after that. And eventually they got it right, and Mm -hmm. it became my favorite restaurant, and I would go there on a regular basis because I said – me being an entrepreneur myself, I know how it is when you're first starting. You don't have everything. You know, you might not have all your resources, but there's never a perfect time to just start. you got to just start. Right. There's no, you know, th- there is no, well, the moon is going to line up with the stars, and it's the perfect time to start. Now, it's never going to be like that. Right. So I applaud anybody who starts a business. And I remember going, I mean, it was two, three times. It was just like, oh, my God, the service is horrible. At least the food is good. But, man, I had to wait, you know, 45 minutes for my plate. Yeah. And I would still tell other people, make sure you go check them out. Make sure you go check them out. Because if we continue to still, despite that, if we can look past that a little bit, mm-hmm. give them a little time, they'll get on their feet and they'll be head and shoulders with everybody else. So, but they, they kept at least having good food. Now, if I go there and the service bad and your food bad, then, <laughs> yeah, you know, I can't. But. Yeah. At least the food was good, and that kept me saying, "Okay, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, I might wait a couple of weeks before, you know, let them, let me see if they staff up a little bit better this time. Right. Go again, I see some improvement. Go again, I see a little bit more improvement. Went to the fourth time, everything was clicking like it should have been clicking. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what we we have to have a little bit more patience because we're coming from a background to where, you know. Maybe he couldn't get a, a $50,000 loan to start his business. He just started with whatever he had. Right. We got to be a little bit more patient with our people, but our people also have to show and prove with their business. I think that's a valid point. The spirit of entrepreneurship within our community, uh, I find, is high. Uh, there, there are a lot of people who want to be entrepreneurs. They want to be their own bosses. Uh, They want to have more control over their financial futures. But the risk that's involved is sometimes prohibitive to their following their aspiration. Uh, Entrepreneurs, for the most part, aren't going to have insurance. Uh, aren't going to have a retirement program. It's going to be a long time before you see a six-figure income because everything that you do has to be reinvested back into the business in order to make it survive. Uh, And as a result, I think that there are a lot of people who uh, who are motivated and interested about becoming entrepreneurs but simply aren't in a position where they feel like they can take that risk. And that's where financial support becomes so important. A lot of, I I don't think that 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 kind of fear is unique to the African American community. I think that people of all races suffer the same fears. They have the same concerns. But I do find that people uh, of a different hue have different resources from which they can get their investment dollars uh, than we do. And uh, unless and until 
African Americans who have made it mm -hmm. are willing to reinvest in their community by investing in the entrepreneurship ideas of those who are coming behind us, then we're going to continue to have these problems. I, I agree, and and I mean that's when Mitt Romney was running for president. That's what made him seem so out of touch. He said, "Oh, just go to your parents and ask them for a loan." <laughs> Everybody know I had that. That's what are correct. you talking about? You were so out of touch, um, but. I mean, and, and that's what I, I even meant with people who are in positions of, of power where their voice speaks volumes and people can hear them. Put out an actual viable plan. If you look at the football player, Marshawn Lynch, mm -hmm. he's buying a proper property in Oakland. So this is what you mean when you say the person that did make it, when you have disposable income like that, reinvest it in the place that you came from. Right. If you're not doing that, then you're being selfish at right. this point. Because right. you have to realize it is bigger than you. Just because you made it, that doesn't mean anything. Because if you're the only one there, you're still on an island by yourself. Right. And an island is vulnerable to attack. So the people who, you know, all of our high-powered doctors and lawyers that really made it and they made a name for themselves. And professional athletes. Professional let's athletes not leave them well. out. Yeah. No, let, let's, let, by, by no means let's not leave them out. But when you've made it and you have that disposable income, if it's not going to hurt you, which it's not, reinvest into people. You know, they can't go get a bank loan, but if you, and, and what, even when the point that I made earlier were, you know, the friends and family thing. Yeah, that's true. If you know you got a relative or a friend that's not going to do right, then right. by no means hire them. But you have friends who you know who are responsible. Right. You have family who you know will be there and will be diligent and will work hard for the greater good of the company. You know that. So that rule is, to me, the, the, the rule needs to be explained more. Mm -hmm. Certain friends and family don't do business with. Because <laughs> we all got friends and family that I got friends right now. I wouldn't. Yeah. There was no way I'd bring them around. We've all got an Uncle Junior. That, uh, that yes. Uncle Junior ain't going to get along. No. We know <laughs> what Uncle Junior's going to do. I understand. But but we, we, have to, we have to have a bigger picture in mind that we have to start controlling our own stuff because if we don't then we're forever going to be on the menu when you have people like I, I brought them up earlier Farrakhan you assembled a million people and you didn't put out a viable plan mm -hmm. it's just a bunch of puff it's just a bunch of it ain't right well that's okay Captain Obvious mm -hmm. I get it <laughs> I don't need you to tell me it's not right I, can, I got two eyes and two ears I can see and hear it for myself yeah. what are we doing about it though what happens after that he assembled all them people on a, on a Sunday and on Monday they went back to work Yeah. and did what yeah. we're just going to go back Okay, we'll go back to my nine to five now. Yeah. These are the people who I feel like are are kind of an issue for us. Mm -hmm. That you know, every time something happens, they'll go get the the usual suspects. You know, even on national news, they'll go get Jesse Jackson. Where's the viable plan? Mm -hmm. Can you point to something that you've actually made a change with, mm -hmm. or have you just been in the public eye for forty years, occupying space? Well, and I hope I don't offend anybody by that. Well, and and and. It's not intended to be offensive to anyone. I, I want to be clear about that. But I do think that we have to acknowledge the fact that some people are meant to play different roles. Mm -hmm. 
uh, it, it, it's like on a basketball team, uh, a, a, a traditional basketball team. You got five players out there on the court. Different players are expected to do different things. The the point guard is expected to be the quarterback of uh, of the team, and and he calls the offense and he holds the ball. He handles the ball more than anybody else. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be the top scorer. You've got somebody else who does that. So different people have different roles. I don't have a problem with acknowledging that Minister Farrakhan or Reverend Jackson uh, who have voices and and uh, have a history where a segment of the community will listen to them and they also have their share of critics out there. But they are able to draw people to come and hear. I, I do agree with you that on the back end of drawing them in, there needs to be a plan. But I don't necessarily think that the plan has to come from Minister Farrakhan or Reverend Jackson because they don't have the resources either. Well, the, the, those are not the guys with the resources. The guys with the resources are are the, the doctors, the lawyers, the architects, the accountants who have been successful. God has blessed them in their uh, chosen professions. They've made a wealth of money and uh, they have the opportunity to give back. Now, who are you, Fred Jeff Smith, to tell other people what to do with their hard-earned money? I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm only trying to tell you that if it's not done, then we're going to continue to have the same problems that we have. And also in fairness, there are people in this community who have been successful, who are African-American, who are giving back to their community. I don't want to make it sound like no one is doing that. It's simply not enough of them that that, that are doing that. Well, and I mean, and, and again, like, I'm not trying to just pick on Farrakhan and Jesse Jackson. I'm really not. But I even look at, okay, you don't have the audience that they have, but I feel like you do more. You actually put out viable statements, viable plans of how can we move our people forward. So you don't have millions of people who no. know your name, no. but the people that do know your name know where you stand. And they know that you're coming up with viable plans to help push us forward. So all I'm saying is if you can do it with the, the, the number of people that you have listening at you, they can do it. Yeah. That's all I'm pointing out. But it's, it, and, and it's not a, well, you've been there for 40 years because a, a lot of things that get tossed around, too, is, you know, well, you've had your time. By no means am I saying that because I feel like if you're doing good, at, I don't care how long you're, you're right. occupying a position. If you're doing something, stay on there for as long as you got breath in your lungs. Yeah. So it's not about that either because I've heard that argument before, too, and I think it's completely stupid. Yeah. But I'm saying with what you have, if you have, I don't know how many, how many people hear you on a weekly basis because mm-hmm. it's not just people who come to Shiloh, but it's people who listen to you on the radio, people who see you on TV, people who hear the podcast. Every time you have an opportunity, every time there's a microphone in, in front of your face, you're putting out viable plans. I don't know how many people hear you. I don't know how many people can see you. Some I kind of know, but not. But you know, it's it's, it's up and now. But they have millions of people that yes. hear them, yes. and I never hear them put out any viable plans. Yeah. So that's the only thing I'm saying. If they're not going to do it, they need to use their platform and put someone up there who does have a viable plan to talk on their behalf. Yeah. So that's my only gripe with them. Do you know any black Republicans? <laughs> 
we got. I know one that goes here. That's yeah, the only one I know. I, I do too. But but the, and and, and I, I'm turning the page back uh, slightly. The reason why I'm asking that question is, is because uh, there are some who believe that every black person is ipso facto a member of the Democratic Party, uh, and ipso facto a progressive, ipso facto a liberal, and that simply ain't. So no, we're not monolithic. Uh, we are not monolithic, and and it is somewhat shocking when people find out that we are not monolithic. I happen to know not just the one Republican that you and I both know here, but I have members of my family who are African American and who are Republican and who believe uh, not necessarily in President Trump, but believe in the Republican agenda, which they see as being smaller government, uh, pro business. Uh, uh, pro-military. Uh, uh, so in this current environment, uh, and, and as we're sitting here taping this, we are on day 34, I believe, of the federal government shut down 800,000 people who are still out of work and the collateral businesses that, that feed off of those 800,000 and off of the government entities uh, that are now closed, suffering tremendously. Uh, and, and from my perspective, this is a government shutdown of the Republican Party's making, and it is a government shutdown that the Republican Party could change in a moment. It wouldn't take a day. It wouldn't take an hour. It could be changed, and people could be put back to work right now mm -hmm. if they wanted to. I was just curious if in your interactions with African-Americans who happen to be Republican, they have offered to you an opinion, a thought, uh, a belief system that justifies what is currently taking place, the level of unnecessary suffering. Everybody suffers to some extent, but the level of unnecessary suffering that is taking place in this country. It's funny because, um, not funny, ha-ha, like funny, ironic. Um, but a lot of black people I know are financial conservatives and they're Democrats by society. Right. And Social I, liberals. Yeah. yeah. So I, it, 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 it's funny because they'll say, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm with tax cuts, but I'm not with that. Right. And that's what, you know, I really feel like um, there needs to be more than a two party system. Mm -hmm. I think the two party system is what's really kind of ripped the country apart. Mm -hmm. It's Crips and Bloods. That's what it is. And coincidentally, you know, it's red and blue, too. Right. I think that's kind of ironic, too. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, it, it I, is. It, it's, it's straight up gang mentality right mm -hmm. now as far as the political party is set up. And I think that there needs to be a viable third or maybe even viable fourth party mm -hmm. where there's more of an option, there's more of a choice. I think we've, we've, we've given the political process a monopoly to, to, to just two parties where it's like, okay, you either got to be here or there. And I don't think a lot of people are not just hardline conservative on every issue. They're not a lot of people who are hardline liberal on every issue right. either. And it's like, but you're forced to, to either pick a side. Um, the people that I know that, that lean more conservatively, the only thing they've offered up is that, you know, the same argument is financially, this is what they believe. Mm -hmm. They're just not with all of that. I know some white Republicans who 
are not with that hard line right, con- just all the way conservative Tea right. Party mentality. They're not with that right. at all. I, I I recall even when I was uh, doing some work with a government agency for media, and the guy I won't mention his name, but the guy um, I mentioned this other person's name, Woody Jenkins was was speaking somewhere. And this guy said, "Okay, um, I'm not going to be there." I understand that. And he, both, they're both Republicans, right? And he says, "I can't be seen in a room with him because he's a different type of Republican than I am." Most assuredly. And when he said it at first, it kind of went over my head because I'm like, you know, all of y'all are Republicans. No. He's like, "No, no, no, he's way different than me. <laughs> he's way, way different than me." And that was, it, it, he would not go in. The, like he was an invited speaker and everything. He, right. he, he turned it down that day. Right. So. It's it's funny when you have that because, you know, sometimes I think, and I you know I think everybody has their bubbles. I think we think that every you know that that side is monolithic as well, mm-hmm. and they're actually not. Yeah, the 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 difference being, uh, and, and I agree with you, they're not monolithic, but the difference being. Uh, now they benefit they, monolithically, and they hang together a little bit oh, yeah. more, even. The guy who doesn't side with the Woody Jenkins form of conservative, but he's not going to publicly come out and he's say he's not going to say that, Mm-mm. and he's not going to vote for a Democrat either. No, yeah, that, he told me that that's not going in to a side room. Right? <laughs> he right. didn't. He didn't come out and say, but I'm staunchly against that guy. But when you hear uh, what I consider to be uh, idiotic comments, like. Uh, Representative Scalise saying the other day that uh, Speaker Pelosi is the reason why there's not more uh, minority membership in the United States Congress. I don't know how, what form of logic gets you to the place where you say the Democratic Speaker of the House, who is a representative of a district in California, is so powerful that she and her ilk are responsible for a paucity of minority uh, leadership uh, in the Republican Party. What form of thinking allows that to make sense to you? That you say this in front of a microphone, in front of a worldwide audience. And someone, again, media, we got to do a better job, media. Whoever was interviewing him should have said, "And what have you personally done then to change the to to bring in more minorities within the Republican Party?" Then it, it, we we got to stop allowing people to just say stuff and not call them on it and not say, "No, you can't just say that." You know that that's the whole purpose. That's the whole reason why we have forty five up saying that. You know, the government shutdown is that's on Nancy Pelosi. Like we didn't have a camera in the room when you said I'm going to shut the government. I I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to own it. It'll be mine. Yes, that's what he said. To to quote the previous president during his uh, debate with Mitt Romney, get the transcript. <laughs> like, can we get the transcript? Like you said these things. Yes. You said for three years Mexico would pay for the wall. Now right. you're saying, no, we, we got to put it in the budget now. Yeah. We're not holding anybody to their word anymore. Like right. I thought. That was, the, you know, isn't that what got the first Bush outed when he said no new taxes? And, then and they back, played that back that and back correct. and back and back. And it's like, oh, now we got to vote you out now. But times have changed. Times have tremendously. changed tremendously. Yeah. And uh, it it's hard to have productive dialogue 
productive conversation with people who have become so tribal. Crips and Bloods. Uh, and, and Crips and Bloods. Uh, and the problem with that is uh, we're caught in the crossfire. Mm-hmm. African Americans, uh, by and large, are caught in the crossfire. We are uh, not as economically equipped to deal with these issues. We are uh, not politically strong enough to overcome these issues without help from other groups of people uh, uh, who, who share our values and yet we don't want them to become paternalistic because that's problematic also. Uh, and so the quandary for us uh, I started this whole conversation with local, state, national. The quandary for us is that even though we have a position and we think that it is both a right and a righteous position, uh, we don't have the efficacy within ourselves to put forward that position in such a way as to generate change. And, and so it becomes necessary for us to stand on our position and compel others to see things from our point of view. And quite frankly, that becomes fatiguing after a while, that I have to convince you of the righteousness of my position in order for you to affirm my position. I have grown to the point where I get tired of having to do that. I don't want to have to affirm anything to you. I don't care whether you see it my way or not. I know I'm right. I'm going to stand on the rightness of my position. But I also, there's a part of me that says you can take that position if you want to, but it's not going to yield the kind of fruit that you're trying to get because you still don't have the political power, the economic power to make the difference without help from some other folk. Well, and that's that's why we, again, we 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 have to we have to get to the point where even if other and help is always welcome, but we've got to get our mindset to the point where help or no help, we got to start somewhere, and we got to have the vision to to see past what's today and what's tomorrow, but what's ten years from now if we start on this track now. Mm-hmm. And we got to realize, you know, Dr. King said this is one of his last speeches. We can't wait for the government to do this. Yes. This is something we have to do on ourselves. We have to assert ourselves in this manner. So even if it's not the the immediate change that we want, we have to know that this is going, if we start now, if we start right now, I might not see it, but if the mindset stays how it is where we're starting now, then future generations will right. see it and they won't have to endure what we're enduring now. So, I mean, you know, we have to get back to where not to endorse segregation, but when segregation was happening, I'm, I, I love history, by the way, too, mm-hmm. which you already know that. But during segregation, we were forced to have our own businesses because right. we couldn't patronize that is correct. other people's businesses. We got to kind of have that mentality again. And not that we're trying to segregate ourselves, but that we just we're forced to build our own because you're not being fair. Right. You're not living up to what the Constitution is saying that you're supposed to be doing. Right. You know, 
we don't have the option to say, I don't need this job because I can go work for my uncle in Idaho. Right. But we have to get to that point to where we have that option. And the only way we're going to do that is we got to start somewhere. So a pebble starts small, but it can go into an avalanche. We got to remember that we can create an avalanche. We just got to start with our pebble. Right. Right. Dr. King also said that we can't depend solely upon uh, leadership that looks like us if they didn't really come from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I've been posting on Facebook uh, for the last couple of weeks, uh, started with the King holiday, uh, leading up to the King holiday, but I've been going back and rereading Dr. King. I've also been reading a lot of James Cone. And I've also been reading a lot of Gardner C. Taylor, and I've, I've taken a quote from each one of them every day and posted it on Facebook. And one of the quotes uh, that I came across of Dr. King uh, was, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it right in front of me, he was saying that we have to be highly suspect of leaders who look like us but weren't positioned by us but were positioned by others Trojan horses Uh, Trojan horses Mm -hmm. Uh, and and I find that that is as relevant today and not just in the political circle in fact my concern about that uh, is more in church circles Mm -hmm. than anything else Uh, uh, where uh, whites have promoted African-American uh, leaders within the church, uh, not within their church, but, but to start their own churches, and they have funded them, uh, but they've also fed them the message that they're going to give to their community. And by the millions, not by the thousands, by the millions, we have flocked to those churches to hear a message that comes out of a black person's mouth mm-hmm. but is not a black person's message. Yeah. And, and 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 the corruption and the divisiveness that comes as a result of that and it's harm that will take generations to undo. Yeah. And I it's 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 not it's not a foreign concept if you you know for for anyone listening or watching if you study history America itself has a history of going around the world, assassinate one leader, and put in place who yes. we want to then distribute our message of assimilation to how we think. And that way we weed out all the quote-unquote radicals. Well, you can do that on a, on a smaller scale, like right. you said, with the churches. You have someone, and they, they, they handpick who they want to distribute a message right. to the masses. Right. So it's not a foreign concept for me. It, it didn't even make me flinch when you said it, because... I, I, I expect it. And when you even if, if you look at certain people and the way they talk, you can tell they're not authentic. They're, they're a puppet that was placed there to keep us in line. And I'm 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 always very weary of certain people. I and mean, you and I have talked, you know, extensively about I, I try not to be even a conspiracy theorist, but I know I look at certain people. And I'm like, you're a Trojan horse. I just know it. No. If I can just prove it, but <laughs> I don't have any hard evidence, but I just know it's true. Well, here's the thing for me, and 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 I I don't have the time or the resources to do the 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 uh, fact fighting that would that would convince other people. But I'm firmly convinced. If you started off in 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 your living room as a church <laughs> in, in in 2010. 
And by 2012, <laughs> you've got 4,000 people, and you got a $34 million facility mm-hmm. uh, that, 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 that the Lord blessed you with. That didn't just happen by accident. No, that was by, completely by design. That happened because somebody out there pumped your ministry mm-hmm. with money so that you would promote their message, and more important, you would not promote the actual gospel. What Cone focuses on more and more and more is the illegitimacy of the gospel that goes forth. This idea that... that Social justice is somehow antithetical to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It tells me you know nothing about social justice. You know nothing about the gospel. You know nothing about Jesus because Jesus promoted a social justice gospel. And to hear black folk mm-hmm. stand up and say, uh, "Well, well, that that's not the true that's not the true gospel. That that's not the genuine message of Jesus Christ. That's not Jesus's message of love." No, doggone it. They it is Jesus's message yeah. of love. If you love folk, then you're going to feed them. Mm-hmm. If you love folk, then you're going to clothe them. If you love folk, you're going to make sure that they have shelter. If you love folk, you're going to make sure that they have all of the creature comforts that everybody else needs. Not luxury, not prosperity, that they have all of the creature comforts that every other person in this society needs and has. And if you don't love them, then you'll act like those things aren't important. Yeah. Just as long as you know that Jesus is your Savior and that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. It's a joke. Yeah. And yet it goes on constantly. And we constantly fall for it until they become useless. And then they're, they're dropped like a hot rock mm-hmm. and they go and get somebody else to do the same thing all over again. Yeah, it goes it goes back to the point I made earlier about, you know, we have to stop allowing ourselves to be defined by other people and that's a way that they define our narrative is all right, uh, they they go and look. Eeny, meeny, miny, black person, you <laughs> come over here. I'm gonna put this batter in your back. Yeah, and you go out there and now you say this, this, and this. I mean, we saw this, and you know, with, with Nat Turner, right? You know, they 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 started off giving them certain scriptures to read. Slaves, make sure you mind your masters. They because so this this is an old trick. Yeah, and we have to stop falling for this trick. If they did this. 300 years ago, and it, they're still running the same play. This is Lucy with the football. We got to stop being Charlie Brown at this point. Yes. And it, it's, it's going to take, you know, people standing up and paying attention and, and saying, okay, what's really authentic? I use that example. I said, you know, at least when you have a mic in front of you, you are speaking viable plans. And I think I even posted about this on Facebook. I said, if you see a a, a quote unquote leader or, or a preacher or a community leader or an activist and they have a mic in their hands and they're not saying anything viable, they're just talking about this wonderful world where it's going to be hand in hand. And we're all that's a Disney movie. Yeah. Let's talk about the realness of, of it right now, the situation on the ground right now. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, well, you know, in heaven, you know, black and white, which I've heard you talk about that. It's not even going to be race in heaven. That's correct. So if they're talking about that, then they're lying to you. Yes. And let's not use falsehoods anymore. They're lying to yes, you. They are. L-I-E. Yes. It's a lie, not a falsehood. I don't yeah. even know what a falsehood is. I know what a lie is. Yes. And that sounds like a lie. Yes, that's exactly what it is. It is a lie. When they tell you, when I look out across this audience and I see black and white and yellow, that's the way heaven's going to be. 
Have you read your Bible? <laughs> there is no flesh and blood in heaven. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So it's not about that. It's about how one human being treats another. Mm -hmm. The love that you are supposed to portray is revealed in your treatment of one another. And so I grow very tired of people who say they love me, but treat me in a way that shows that they have no love for me at all. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and it's especially disheartening when that comes from people who look like me. Trojan horses. Trojan horses. That's what they are. The other day, uh, uh, Reverend Joel Stockstill of, of Bethany Church uh, put out a, a tweet on, on, on his Twitter account uh, that included a video from some uh, black academic from a place called Prager University that suggested that black leadership only enriches the black leader but does not enrich the black community. Uh, I watched the video uh, ad nauseum. I, I, I uh, saw some of the responses that came back. I'll give him credit to me. Gary Chambers uh, gave a beautiful, intelligent, thoughtful response to it that called out all of the ridiculousness of that uh, tweet and everything that was in it. But the troubling thing to me is that this is not the first time that this kind of uh, dismissive attitude <clears throat> towards African-American leadership has come out of Bethany Church. This is not the first time that it has come out of Reverend Stockstill. This is not the first time that it has come from that community. And yet a large contingent, I don't know the actual percentage, but a large contingent of those who attend Bethany Church are African-American people. They are being uh, preached to, they are being taught, they are being led in worship by people who have a dismissive attitude toward you as a race, toward African-American leadership, which they see as incompetent and as corrupt, and yet we continue to support that kind of uh, uh, ignorance, that kind of meanness, that kind of divisiveness, that kind of strategic uh, effort to dismantle African-American leadership within our community, and we support it, and we defend it. Well, let's just call a spade a spade. I mean, it's in their best interest. You know, uh, when I was younger, my dad always told me, if you want to find the solution to the problem, follow the money trail. Mm -hmm. So it's in their best interest if I can hold on to this big black contingent that I have coming to my church every week, giving me money. And if I paint this picture like, you come here and everything is just great. And over there, see, they're they're talking about negative stuff, you know, racism and, ooh, shudder the thought. <laughs> That's, you know, it's in their best interest to promote this and to say, no, 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 over here it's, it's fine. And you're sitting right next to somebody who probably votes against your interest every day. They don't share your same your, your, your same struggle. They don't they don't even take up your plight. And if they're poor, they're not only voting against your interest, they're voting against their own. Yeah. This current administration is not just against people of color. Mm -hmm. It's against people without wealth. Well, see, white people need their own NAACP to show them that, you know, you're being led astray. 
it's on your backs as well that th- this big wealthy contingent over here stays wealthy, and they stepping on your back on on on, on your back as well. They need their own NAACP. Yeah, they really do. It is just troubling to me that uh, we continue to uh, not only give our physical support, our financial support, but we will actually defend Mm -hmm. these individuals and these entities that are working against our own interest. Well, I like to challenge any black person who, 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 who attends these predominantly white churches that they never speak on your behalf when things happen. It's just like when you're at work. You can't speak your mind, can you? Right. Really look into yourself and say, how comfortable am I here? You know, can I can, can I talk about, you know, if, if you're a black male, don't tell me you've never been stopped by the, by the police or, or followed or anything like that. Can I talk to anybody here that don't look like me and would they understand? And would they, they be just as outraged about it as I am? And why is it that they don't, when something happens to someone who looks like me, they're quiet? Really look into yourself and then look in the mirror and tell me what you feel. Yeah. That's what I would like to challenge any black person to go through. Good points. Good points. You're a husband. Uh, you reside in this community. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point, I imagine that you and your beautiful wife are going to become parents and uh, you're going to have a family. I asked this question of everyone. I probably asked this question of you last time you were on and don't remember whether or not I did. So I'm going to ask you again. Would you like to raise your family in the Baton Rouge community, or do you see this, even though you were born and raised here, do you see this as a stopping point along the way for you to go someplace else? Well, I wasn't born here. I was, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. Yeah, I was born in Memphis. Um, but this, this is my home, and... I would I would love to keep this as my foundation. Um, that's that's my mindset. Um, but I also realize that change can't happen if the change makers are not here. So if I have to be a change maker to make it happen, then that's where I have to be. So that's that's my goal is to make this into the place that it should be. And whatever I can do to help that change along the way, that's what I plan on doing. So I do plan on being here. <laughs> Good. It's to Shiloh's benefit that you that, that you are here. It's to my personal benefit that you are here. One of the things uh, uh, that I have appreciated in the time that uh, we have worked together, uh, which is now getting on towards six years, uh, is I have watched you bring in with you as a part of your group as you conduct your ministry here at the church. You have brought people into the Shiloh family, many of whom have become members of Shiloh. They, they came to work with you to staff the audio video ministry of the church, to staff the sound ministry of the church and things of that sort. But many of them have become members of the church. And, and what I have seen happen uh, as a result of you at the hub, you at the center, is that you have surrounded yourself with some very talented people who have then brought their talents with them to the Shiloh family, and and, and Shiloh has been blessed as a result. My question to you about that is, do you see that as being the most important aspect, the most beneficial aspect of your own entrepreneurship? 
that 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 take take it away from the evangelism aspect because it, it is evangelical. Uh, but 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 I, I want to look at it from the standpoint of the fact that you are your own entrepreneur. You have your own entertainment company, and many of these people who have come with you to Shiloh are people who you surrounded yourself with as a part of Mad Game Entertainment. You have given these people jobs. You have given these people opportunities uh, to uh, flesh out their talents and their abilities to discover what their talents and abilities may be. We were talking about one of your uh, uh, support staff uh, before we started taping and how you have watched them develop in a very brief period of time when given the opportunity to do that. Do you see that as, as one of the most beneficial, one of the most important aspects of your entrepreneurship? Uh, absolutely, because um, if I can make everyone else around me better, then that's the best insurance policy in the world. Because if I happen to come on hard times or stumble, you know, I've if I've been able to empower them to where, okay, now they can take care of themselves and other people, then they can extend that same courtesy back to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not doing it like in my mind, like, yeah, you know, in 10 years, I'm not, I'm not like the golfer, like, you know, one day, you know, I'm going to call on you Good for reference. a favor. I'm not, that's not in my head, but that's just how I, I look at it is that if you invest in people, people will take care of you as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one thing that was always impressive about me is, you know, you always say, you know, this is it for me. And the people take care of you because right. you're doing your part and what you're supposed to do. Right. So I feel like if I'm if I'm if I'm being a positive impact on someone else and they're getting some out of it, and then they also in turn are able to empower themselves financially and spiritually, then they can help me along the way. If if I happen to fall or stumble or something happens to me, mm-hmm. but also it's also me really believing that. It isn't about me. I want to be able to empower people with knowledge so that say something does happen to me, it don't stop. You know, I don't I don't want to, you know, if I get sick or, you know, if God forbid I, I die, you know, at an unforeseen age, mm-hmm. you're not, you know, shallow or, or anything else that I have anything to do with is not sitting around saying, okay, what are we going to do now? He was the only one who knew how to do X, Y, and Z. Right. But if I've, if I've shared that knowledge with other people, it keeps going, and mm-hmm. and that's what makes you know um, a strong front. I believe mm-hmm. you know it, if if you if you even if you look at history, when Dr. King was assassinated, a lot of things stopped, and I don't think he planned it for that way. Right. But there were people who who chose either not to pick up the ball or they picked up a different ball in right. another way. Right. And I would like for you know if anything happened to me, the ball still we can still get to the end zone. Right. Right. One of the big differences, and 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 I'm I'm we're moving toward a close. That's a preacher phrase. As I move toward a close, uh, uh, one of the things that that I appreciate about the church, about a church like Shiloh, and and many of the African American churches in our community, is, is that. Uh, there is a longevity attached to the church. Uh, Shiloh is 146 years old. and be 147 years old uh, at the midpoint of this year, around August of this year. And we are not the oldest African-American church in this community. Mount Zion is older than us by some 10 to 12 years. Uh, uh, New Prospect Baptist Church, I believe, is older than we are, but but you have any number of churches that are either beyond the century mark or approaching the century mark in age. And when you think about uh, 
entities that are uniquely African American, that are that are singularly African American. There are very few that have the longevity as the African American Church, not just Baptist, but the African American Church of of, of whatever denomination that you happen uh, to be a part of. Uh, as a result of that, not only are we hubs of spiritual uh, uh, value and spiritual uh, promoting spiritual beliefs or religious beliefs, we are also the economic hub of 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 the African American community. Still, in the year 2017, uh, uh, generally speaking, the only businesses that that Black folk own are the Black Church and the Black Funeral Home. Just about every other business is 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 gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, black grocery stores, black uh, 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 department stores, uh, any of those things—they're gone. Uh, and and what we have are the black funeral home and the black church. And I see both of those as being under attack. Uh, uh, there, there, there is a resilience that exists within those entities that have allowed them uh, to survive the attacks that have come against them. But it does not change the fact that we're being constantly attacked and we have to constantly uh, reassess and, and determine how we can best respond in order to maintain our efficacy and our viability in an ever-changing community. The attacks are not always coming from the outside. Quite often, there 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 are problems that exist from within. Uh, we have a a an ever uh, shrinking group of people uh, with succeeding generations that still come to the church, or that still uh, consider the church to be a viable part of their everyday life and that's something that we need to struggle with we need to come together and talk about uh, I, I think too little conversation is being held among us about things of that sort I, I'm, I, I'm saying all of that to say as someone who is a part of the African American church and is an entrepreneur within this community what is it that you see that we can do to mutually benefit one another black entrepreneur black church in order to raise our efficacy within our community? Um, I think something that we could do is um, show people that they both work hand in hand. One hand wash the other, both hands wash the face. And the face being the black community, that we both need to wash the face. Um, We could do things like let's, let's try to incorporate more entrepreneurs into how we do and build our own network of power. Mm-hmm. And it starts with the hubs that we have. Like you said, the, the main hubs are the Black Funeral Home and the Black Church. Well, those are the hubs. Now we, we have to grow from that. So just within the church, you'll find there's a network of power just within the church. And Shiloh, I, you know, I have to commend them because Shiloh, I think, publishes, I think, every year, every two years, their own directory of businesses of people who are in the church. And right. you, know, you can scroll through there. You can find everything from a nutritionist to a mechanic to uh, someone to, to fix your AC or someone to, you know, build you a house, contractors. Everything is listed in there. We just have to do more collaboration, even even between churches. Mm-hmm. It might be, you know, maybe a directory between three churches or maybe between three churches, you know, the, the churches maybe say, okay, Let's be our own investment group and invest in our 
you know, in these young entrepreneurs. We got to vet them, make sure, you know, they're qualified, make sure they have their game plan, just like a bank would do, except unlike the bank, we're going to personally be involved in, in their growth and, and, and help them get their business off the ground to where it's viable because that's going to invest back into the community that's investing into the church. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, that's the thing that I see. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't mean to sound like, you know, it's just a simple thing. It's, it's a process. Right. It's something that, you know, it's not something that you can just do a Thanos snap and boom, you know, right. it's there. But it starts with the pebble. Yeah. So we can make the avalanche. Yeah. That's how I see it. The, 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 the tangibles have to be there, but also the intangibles. The tangibles primarily being uh, a strategic plan. You were talking about strategy earlier and uh, the economic resources to make it happen. The intangibles have to do with trust and collaboration. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, until we can make a better, uh, uh, make some improvement in both those areas, we're going to continue to struggle in these things. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your, your, your serving as our guest today. I appreciate the work that you do for Shiloh. And uh, I wish you nothing but continued success in what you're doing. He's not the only entrepreneur in his family. His wife is also an entrepreneur. His mother is also an entrepreneur. I'm assuming your dad is also an entrepreneur. So he comes from a family of entrepreneurs. And uh, I'm very grateful that your entrepreneurship reveals itself in Shiloh in such a wonderful way. Thank you for being here. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for viewing. We'll be back next time.